0: Rush hour commuting, that produces happy thoughts, doesn't it? Especially if you've ever lived near a big city or in a big city and had to commute into town early in the morning for work or even ride subway trains and things like that, you know that that's not, for most of us, something that we enjoy. You have to be a little bit twisted to to like that. It doesn't bring up good feelings. Well, this man boarded a subway like any other day. But he's, he's in a rush. Things are slowing him down. He's not necessarily in the best of moods. And as the subway comes to a stop at his stop, this man steps over in front of him, impeding his progress. And so he shoves this man out of the way, drops some words on him, I won't, I won't repeat, and out of the train he goes and on about his business. Well, later that day, he had an interview for a job. So he shows up to his interview. And he walks into the office to, to uh, sit down at the desk with the person who is going to do his interview. And who do you think that was? It was the man he cursed at and shoved out of the way. He didn't get the job. Although the man claimed he didn't hold that against him, said he wasn't qualified. I'm sure there may have been a a little bit of prejudice there. See, our text today is holding something similar but more important. A more important surprise ending. The The people hearing Peter preach about the healing of the lame beggar are the same. some of the same people who were there in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified and who stood and at the instigation of the leaders when given the choice. Because Pilate had a, had a custom of releasing a prisoner on, on Passover. Given the choice between the murderer Barabbas and Jesus, they chose Barabbas and yelled, Crucify! 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 And Jesus was crucified. Peter's going to remind them of that day as he explains to them what has happened in the healing of this lame beggar. This is Peter's second sermon. And you know, the first sermon ended with 3,000 conversions. This one's going to end with them going to jail. <laughs> and it's all good, you know. God's word never returns to him void. But our coming to faith, they're going to, they're going to go from astonishment to guilt to we trust forgiveness. And our coming to faith often looks like that. We begin to learn or read about Jesus, and we're amazed. And then, as as the story comes home that He died for our sins, then the guilt and the and the sorrow takes place that causes us to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus and to be forgiven. For all of our sins. See, that's what Peter is going to walk them through in response to the healing. God didn't just heal this man through them. He he had a purpose for that. He was testifying to His grace through the signs of an apostle that we've already talked about. And Peter, on that instance, is interpreting that work of God for them. So this is again his second sermon. He explains and applies the fact that Jesus, it is Jesus who healed the lame beggar and the people hearing him go from wonder to guilt to forgiveness of their sins. So Peter explains and applies this healing by pointing them to Jesus' death and resurrection and calls them to faith and repentance. Same as he does for us. But look at first, they identify, the healer is identified. If you look, we we are working through, we talked about verses 1 through 10 last week. Pick up with verse 11. And it says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. He is clinging to them. Imagine that. He was lame from birth. He had never walked. And then suddenly, expecting to receive some money, he instead was told to rise up in the name of Jesus. And grab, Peter grabs his hand and he walks. And not only can can he walk, he's leaping and praising God. And now he's clinging to the ones that God has used to heal him. And a crowd, I mean the word is spreading. There's a tumult happening and the crowd is gathering around them. And Peter sees this and sees that it's God's opportunity. It says that these people were utterly astounded. Utterly astounded. They were full of amazement and wonder because they knew, we already we saw last week, they knew this guy. They had seen this guy. They had seen his gnarled legs. They had seen the fact that he couldn't walk. And probably a lot of them had, had given him something to help him. And now they see this same guy that they can't deny running and jumping and praising God. And they're running to one another. Come look, Bubba's healed or whatever his name was. I don't know what his name was. And they're all gathering together. And he's clinging to Peter and John. So they, they naturally are looking to them. What did you do? How did this happen? You must have done something and we want to know about it. So it says in verse 12, when Peter saw, saw it, what the gathering crowd, he addressed the people and, and similar to what he did when we have the sermon in chapter 2, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why did you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made Him walk? What are you looking at us for? You shouldn't be surprised by this. You should know that your Messiah has come. This is a sign of of His coming. What He's basically saying is, listen, we're not powerful enough and we're not good enough to do this. This didn't come from us. We were just an instrument in God's hands to bring this about. It's not our power. It's not our piety. It's nothing about us really other than we're chosen by Christ to be his representatives and the people on through which he's going to work. These apostles. And he tells them. So he's he's basically saying it's not us, it's your God. And he's going to surprise them at the end. But he, sa- he says here, he says, it's not us, he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and that's ringing in their ears. They know that language. They know that's the God of their fathers. They know that's the God that met with Moses at the burning bush. They know that this is their God. So their ears are perking up. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant. Who is that? Jesus. And at that point in their minds, you probably think, they think, uh uh-oh. And this servant language is attached to Messiah. This is Messiah language. This is them saying that, you know, the, the Messiah has come. God has used the Messiah to bring about this miracle. And the Messiah is Jesus. And Peter preaches hard to them. We don't like hard preaching. But we need it. He didn't tiptoe around them here. He, 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 he's, he sees their wonder. And it's a good thing. And they've drawn together and they want to know what happened. But he knows if they're going to come to forgiveness, they're going to have to realize their sin. And he is boldly preaching against their sin. If, if you go to church anywhere and they'll never talk to you about your sin, they don't love you, they're putting you in danger, go somewhere else. Because sin is our major problem. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Sin is what will lead to our condemnation if we are not embracing the, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Peter is willing to confront. Peter is bold as a lion. This timid apostle who was hiding in a room before the resurrection is now out in front in the the temple, exactly in the city where Christ was crucified. And he's going to charge these people. And going to tell these people that Jesus is the Messiah. That it's His name and authority of His person that is the source of the healing. That Jesus is alive and He's still working, but you are culpable for your sin. So the people charged here. Look what he says after he tells them about their God and that He has glorified His servant Jesus. He says, God has done this. And look at verse 14, the very beginning of it. But you... I mean, you can just imagine Him pointing His finger and saying, but you... God has a wonderful plan for your life. True, but it has to be understood. But you denied, you denied, you denied the Holy and the Righteous One. You asked for a murderer instead. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we're all witnesses. Man, that sounds hopeless, doesn't it? I mean, if you just stop right there, it's like, oh, thanks. This you here, but you is emphatic in the original. It's all caps. It's exclamation points. It's you delivered over and denied your Messiah. The One you were hoping for. The One you were looking for. You didn't recognize Him. You denied Him. And look how He speaks about Jesus. The One they denied. The Holy One. First of all, you denied the Holy One. See, this should be convicting to them. they didn't recognize Him. Even the demons recognized Him. And they speak to Him this way and of Him this way. One example is Luke 4.34 when the demon-possessed man in the synagogue was healed. And it, say, it says in Luke 4.34, this is <laughs> quoting a demon. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Think about that. These people did not recognize their Messiah. I mean, the devils did better. Jesus is the only Holy One. Jesus is the only fully set apart one to the Father who came to to represent us and save us and fix what Adam had broken. He's the Holy One, the Holy One, the only sinless One, our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Savior. And then he says the Righteous One, and both of these really are, are a Messianic description in Judaism of the time. Jesus is the only one, fully righteous, innocent, no sin, only obedience, did not deserve death. And look at this, even a Roman sinner, even a Roman centurion recognized Him as righteous at the cross. He said, truly, this was a righteous man. But Peter says, you chose a murderer, you chose Barabbas over Jesus, over your Messiah, over the Holy and Righteous One. You need to own up to the fact that you chose sin over God and sin over Jesus. Like we all do. We're born into this world doing till we come to faith in Christ. They had killed their... Messiah. But look, he doesn't stop there. He has one more thing to say. He says that you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer. They chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. Now look at this this amazing language in verse 15. And you killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. They killed their Messiah who was not just a mere man. He was the God-man. I mean, who else is the author of life but God? Who else is the originator of life? Jesus, both God and man, forever. Glorified now. He's the source of both physical and eternal life. This is Creator language. Now certainly they didn't kill the divine nature, the deity didn't die on the cross, but our, our Savior, who is one person, who is God and man, did die for us. It says this in John 1, 1-4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God, not as Jehovah's Witness friends might tell you a God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Everything was made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now look at this. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You have forsaken your Messiah. Who was... Both God and man, imperfect representative. You are responsible because you killed him. And now he, he gives a, a little comma there. So the charges are clear. In, in God's court, they have handed over Jesus to be killed. They've disowned him before Pilate. They chose a murderer over Jesus. And they caused the death of the author of life. And again, this sounds hopeless. It sounds like he's just reading them the riot act. There's no hope for them. They're just going to be swept away, right? Well, remember what they are and who they are. They said when when replacing Judas, who was a devil, who was among them, they said that the person that replaces Judas has to be with them, a witness of the resurrection. So look how he turns now. This is the record erased, right? This is amazing, and I want you to pay close attention and listen as, as I talk about this, but it says, you killed the author of life, verse 15, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. The one you killed, God raised. He's the one who has healed this man. And the good news is, there's a way for your sinful record to be erased. There's a way for it to, as we sang, that's why we were singing something, to be blotted out. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. There are witnesses to the resurrection in verse 16. And it's by His name, by faith in His name. Whose faith? The, the apostles' faith who, who performed the action. Has, it Has made this man strong whom you see and know. See, they know who He is. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Jesus, the Messiah, faith in Him brought about this miracle. In other words, Jesus, through them as instruments, healed this man and restored him to perfect health. Jesus, the one they denied and rejected and killed by the hands of sinful men, put on that cross. I mean, imagine what's going through their mind as they're standing there and they can hear themselves again saying, Crucified! Crucified, His blood be upon us and our children. Crucified, We reject Him. Away with Him. But the Spirit's at work. Taking them from wonder. Through guilt as they're confronted by Peter. To a way of forgiveness. Did you know that while you still have breath, That through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven for whatever you have done. You're not an original sinner. You're not worse than David. You're not worse than Paul. You're not worse than anybody else that God has saved. There is forgiveness available for you, for any and for all of your sins. And it's available the same way that Peter is preaching here and I want you to watch this carefully. He says and now brothers in verse 17 I know that you acted in ignorance. Now in ignorance that they they really didn't recognize Jesus as their messiah. They weren't overtly and consciously denying their messiah. They didn't think he was the messiah. And he says I know you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. All focused on themselves and their own power and their own position and their own thing. But what God foretold by the mouth of, of the, all the prophets see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. Talk more about that next week. That His Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled it's almost like you remember the story of Joseph and and when Joseph's brothers finally, Joseph reveals himself to to them and they are afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, they were still responsible for the sin that they had acted. God was working through that to accomplish His purpose and to reconcile that relationship. Same here. They had sinned. They were responsible for it. They're not off the hook because God is sovereign and has brought about His purpose. But Peter's going to preach His purpose to them and His gospel to them and remind them and call them to this faith in Jesus so that they can be forgiven of all of their sin culminating in and represented by their rejection of Jesus on that day. I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He has fulfilled. See, they were looking for a Messiah that would come and conquer their enemies. They were looking for a Messiah that would take the boot of Rome off of them. They were looking for a political conqueror, not a suffering servant who would come and die for their sins. And so Peter is explaining to them that the Christ, and that's the same, you can say the Messiah, that's just Greek for the Messiah. That the Messiah, their Messiah has come and it was according to all that God had written in the Old Testament, pictured in those sacrifices and through those promises and in those prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ and His sacrifice. Christ was the Lamb of God, John, John said, who would take away the sin of the world. Blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, the author of Hebrews said. They, they covered and pointed to Jesus who would come and truly deal with our sin. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day. And eternal life is given as a gift through faith in Him. See, He said, What God foretold, He has accomplished. Christ, the Messiah, came and lived for us. He died for us. He was raised from the grave. He ascended. He is reigning for us. And He is giving His salvation. He is giving forgiveness as a free gift through faith, through repentance, and through faith. So what he's basically going to turn now to them and say, you sinned, you were unrighteous, you chose a murderer, you deserve death, you deserve judgment, judgment, condemnation, but God has paid for your sins in His Son, who died according to the will of God and was raised from the grave. He's accomplished God's purpose. Therefore, look what he says in, in verse 19. Repent therefore... Repent therefore and turn back. Change Repentance at its heart is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. We know it's coming actually from death to life. It's through the gospel that God gives us life and grants repentance and faith. But it, it's a change of mind to go from unbelief to belief, from loving sin and hating God to loving God and hating sin and wanting to be free of it, from not believing the gospel to believing the gospel, not trusting Jesus to trusting Jesus. He's saying, repent therefore. Change your heart. Go from unbelief to faith. Love, hatred of God to love of God. Change the direction of your mind. Change your mind about self, about sin, about Jesus. See, self was on the throne, and they had sinned and rejected their Messiah. Their Savior, the only Savior. And we were born doing the same thing. And if you're not trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, this morning you are doing that. But the door is open. The gospel is preached. Faith is encouraged as exhorted. Please humble yourselves and turn and trust in Jesus and you will find salvation. That's what he's telling them. And he's going to continue this sermon and we're going to pick up with it next week, but we're going to end right here with verse 19 this week where he says, Repent and turn back that your... Now watch this. You've heard us sing this in two songs. That your sins might be blotted out. Repentance is the start of the process. Faith is where it ends up. And through faith in Jesus, our sins are blotted out. We don't blot out our sins. We never forget them. We continue to hold them against. We still struggle with them even if we've confessed them and we've come to faith in Jesus and confessed things. We still allow them to to, to bother us. But look at this language. It's a promise basically that if you will repent, if you will turn and trust Jesus, if you will turn to God through faith in His Messiah, your sins will be blotted out. You know what that means? Erased, wiped away, obliterated. See, in ancient times with papyri, I think I'm saying that right. Papyrus or papyri depending upon singular or plural. But the ink just just would lay on the page. It wouldn't soak into the material. So you could wash it off. Think about that. Think about your sins. Well, this is, it would be a much longer list than this. But if, if this was on papyri and this is a list of your sins and the reason you deserve condemnation for God, and it could be washed, clean, gone. I know you can still, still see through the paper, but bear with me. Sins blotted out, erased, it was a term used for washing the papi- pap- I know, papyri. I want this one. Papyri. That stuff that they used to write on. It was a process of removing the letters and reusing the paper. Or the papyri. You could wash it clean and write on it again. Now, think with me. That, that is your record before God. Every violation of His commandments has not gone away since you were born. The accusations are logged. You have to answer for every violation of God's law in thought, word, and deed unless and until by God's grace you come to faith in Jesus. And I really want you to own this this morning that when you come to faith in Jesus your record of sin is blotted out. It is erased. It is washed away. It is not in existence anymore. Why? Because it was nailed to the cross with Jesus and obliterated there. He took all the condemnation. He took all the punishment due your breaking of God's commandments if you are trusting in Jesus by His grace. Your sins can be blotted out, can be erased. See, that that erasing of the ink off the papyri became a metaphor for forgiveness. That our record, through faith in Christ, our record is washed completely clean of our sin. Our record in God's courtroom, first step anyway, completely cleansed. Of our sin, Isaiah said in one eighteen, "Come now, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and they are, as soon as you, when you're born in sin, that's why we need a Savior. Though your sins are like scarlet, he says to Israel, Isaiah, they shall be white as snow, gone, washed away. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Psalm 103, eight to 13. The Lord is merciful. I want you to know, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D Yahweh, Jehovah, whichever word you use. The everlasting God, the Lord, the only God, is praise God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us, this is His people He's talking about in the psalm, according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why He's dealt with Christ according to our sins and repaid Him according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him, those who turn and trust Him, delight in Him, love Him, in response to His grace. We can't make ourselves better. We receive as a gift His salvation. As far Now look at this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. He removed Our transgressions, if you imagine a a pack of sin or transgressions on your back, He removes that and, and He placed it on Christ who paid the penalty. Isaiah 53. He bore our transgressions. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. See, God can remain just and righteous and forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. Which is all of your sin package. When you think of your sin, think cradle to grave. Not up until the time you come to faith. Because if you only are forgiven up until the time you come to faith, and then you got to make keep the rest or make the you're going to hell, because you're not even as a Christian, you're not going to keep the law and thought word indeed. So think of your sin as a package from birth to death. It was all future when Christ died for it, right? And he paid that penalty fully so that God could remove our sins, place them on his son. Son paid for them. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west, just a metaphor, don't think round earth. They don't run back into each other. <laughs> By the way, the earth's not flat. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? If you're thinking, according to the metaphor, infinitely, it's gone. It's in the heart of the sea," the scripture says, "No fishing. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. So Jesus paid the penalty. And that's why you might if you're not a Christian, if you're not used to this language and you come to church and you hear people talk about being washed in the blood, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? That sounds freaky. But if you understand what that means, it's talking about being cleansed from your sin by Christ's sacrifice. His blood poured out means He died. Right? The righteous one died that we might be forgiven. And your only hope of forgiveness is trusting in Christ, receiving Him. You cannot fix it. Scripture says all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. All of my attempts to be righteous are less than perfect. So there, you know what that means? Sin? I can't take my sin, which is crimson, and clean it by rubbing more crimson on it. But Christ, crimson, crimson blood sacrifice can wash that away. And I want to tell you, if you will come to faith, if you will trust Jesus, if you will receive Him as your Savior, God will wash away every speck of your sin. And if you won't, He won't. And if you have come to faith in Christ, whenever that was, He's washed your record clean. Your sins have been blotted out. That means they are gone, erased, obliterated. But I can't leave you there. It's better than that. When you come to faith in Jesus, not only is His sacrifice attributed to you, imputed to you, His death on the cross that washes away your sin, but His righteousness is credited to you so that your record that has been washed clean is now His record of perfect righteousness. And that's what God's growing you up into after you come to faith as He sanctifies you and makes you more and more like Jesus. But your salvation has never been and will never be based on anything you do. It has never been and it will never be based on anything you do. It is all, always and only based on Jesus. Through the instrument of faith that He gives us. He grants us repentance, turning and trusting. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone this morning? Why would you reject Him? Why would you not receive the free gift of full forgiveness and righteousness? What better Savior would you want than one that would live for you and die for you and be raised from the grave and be reigning for you? There is condemnation, a just and righteous condemnation for you outside of Christ because you haven't kept God's law and thought, word, and deed. But even if you have a weak and feeble faith in Jesus, God gave that to you. And if you are trusting in Jesus, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word this morning, all of your sin has been washed away. Every violation of God's law in thought, word, or deed, gone. Blotted out. And your record before God is Jesus' righteousness. I don't know about you, but you can sleep at night if that's your hope. You don't have to wonder, if I die, will I go to heaven? If it's based on you, you won't. It's not based on how strong your faith is or how faithful you are or anything like that. It's based on Christ and Christ alone. This Messiah that they had rejected, that had died and had been raised from the grave, offers salvation as a free gift to you, even in Swansboro, North Carolina. It came through these apostles and through their writings all the way down to us, this gospel of God's grace. Let me just end or transition to the end from Ephesians. And I'll read it to you. If you're trusting in Jesus, this is true of you. If you trust in Jesus for the first time this morning, this is true of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So through this healing and through Peter's preaching these people are taken from wonder to guilt to forgiveness. And I don't through my preaching this morning if you've never trusting in Jesus you you can be taken through that if the spirit's at work in you through the word all the way to repentance and faith in Jesus. And if you do trust in him you have full forgiveness. So what about you? Has your soul been healed by His grace? Have you gone from wonder to guilt to faith and thus full forgiveness as a free gift? Today's a good day. I encourage you, I beg you, I exhort you. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus. You will be fully forgiven. Clothed in His righteousness. Righteousness have hope that lasts beyond this life into the next. And at that point, when you do trust in Jesus, it will be true of you that your sins have been blotted out. And to those of you who are are trusting in Jesus and still pestering yourself about things that came, that you've confessed or came before you had faith in Jesus. Now, there may be some reconciliation with men and women you have to do, but as far as God's court is concerned, if you're trusting in Jesus, your sins are gone. Obliterated, blotted out, nailed to the cross, incinerated, and you are clothed in the perfect righteousness, perfect record of the Lord Jesus Christ. So rest. Rest in Him. Don't reject Him. There's no other Savior than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I pray that you are right now at work in every heart in this room from the youngest child to the oldest adult. Every ethnicity, everyone who will hear on on the recording. That this glorious Jesus that Peter preached to these people in response to the healing of this beggar is our Jesus our Messiah, our Savior, who has loved us enough to come and save us, to live for us and provide a perfect righteousness, to die for us and atone for our sins, to be raised for our justification and reigning for us and coming again someday. Encourage and strengthen the faith of your children that are in this room, that are trusting you, to really, really believe that their sins have been blotted out by your grace. And Lord, convict and challenge those not trusting in Christ and Christ alone and save their souls. And help us, Lord, to go forward from this place and lovingly share this good news of full and free forgiveness that Peter preached and that we have and that I have preached this morning. Take it and use it to save us, to convert us, to grow us, and to propel us as we encounter people outside these walls who really have no hope. To propel us to tell them the good news of this loving Savior who has died for us. Thank you for your word. Apply it to our hearts. Produce repentance and faith and grow us in it. And lead us in the way everlasting. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And thank you. Thank you. For salvation. Amen.